of God goes up to heaven and comes back down? Who holds the, the wind in his fists? Who wraps up the oceans in his cloak? Who has created the whole world? What is his name? And the son's name? Tell me if you know. You faithfully answer our prayers with awesome deeds, O God, our Savior. You are the hope of everyone on earth, even those who sail on distant seas. You formed the mountains by your power and armed yourself with mighty strength. You quieted the raging oceans with their pounding waves and silenced the shouting of the nations. Some went off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They too observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke, and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them exalt him publicly before the congregation and before the leaders of the nations. O Lord God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed waves. You crushed the great sea monster. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours, and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. Thanks, pal. Well, you know, there's some things you can only learn by doing them, right? You only learn on the way. I mean, the classic example is riding a bike, right? Now, I don't know how many of you can remember learning how to ride a bike, but I guarantee you you didn't learn it by reading a book. And not that anyone could have sat down and showed you a video back then, of, of you know, watching someone else ride a bike, but you wouldn't have learned it that way either. But, but really, for some of you, the sharpest memory is teaching your own kids how to ride a bike, right? I remember. You know where the sharp memory for me is? Right here in my lower back. Because that bent-over action of holding the seat of that kid's bike, I thought he was never going to learn how to ride it, right? As you're trying to, oh, please don't crash, please don't crash. Oh, there they crash again. But you know, you can... You can Research it, you can read about it, you can study it, you could even watch videos on it, but really there's only one way to learn how to ride a bike, isn't there? Because you can describe, have you ever tried to describe the action of riding a bike? The balance of keeping the tire, you've got to turn toward the air, you know, if you're leaning this way, you've got to kind of turn that way. Have you ever tried to describe that to a four-year-old? Yeah, it doesn't really work, right? It only, you only learn by doing, and, and it's as we pedal and as we figure out that wobbly balance thing going on, and as we crash a few times, and, 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 and it's finally we start to get it, right? And it's a great relief and cheer and joy in the house when finally that kid is taken off across the, well, I used grass, but some of you probably used pavement and gravel, right? And taking down, down the road, they're on their way, they're finally learning how to, how to ride that bike. And there might be some crashes later, but they learn how to ride a bike. And then, they, and then what do they say about riding a bike? You never really learn, or you never really forget, right? Never really learn. You never really forget. You always kind of remember, right? There's some things you can only learn by doing. 
Or think of a spectacular place that you'd like to visit. Maybe Brooke and Val think of Israel, right? Or or maybe it's the Sahara Desert or the Amazon jungle or maybe it's just, you know, Central Park or Boston in the fall. I don't know what it would be for you, but that place where you've never been, you can read about it, you can study the history of it, you could even learn the language of some of the peoples who live there, but until you've gone there, it's hard to say you really know it. Or, for those of you who maybe are married, take a look at that person you're with. Or for others, imagine uh, someone that you've known now for a long time. You know, I don't know about you, but I didn't really know the woman that I married when I married her. <laughs> and she didn't really know me. No, we thought we did. I mean, we had done you know, due diligence, right? You kind of do what you can to figure out who, who this person is, right? But really, compared to what I know now, did I know her back then? Not really. <laughs> she didn't really know me. Because it's only been, how many years? <laughs> Testing. See, we always get the test. 18 years, right? 18 years later, that I, you know, we're getting to know each other. We don't know each other fully yet, but we're getting to know one another. And really, it's only been because we've been together that long. We've been on the way. So for some of you, it might even be the whole church thing. Maybe you drove by this building or another building or a certain gathering of a church. Maybe it was the Arks and Covenant Church. Maybe you, you drove by it for years. You, you met a few people from there. You, you heard about it. But you really didn't know what that group of people was like. Maybe you even heard some weird things. Which now that you've come have been slightly confirmed. Some, <laughs> some of them may be dissuaded. But, but you didn't really know what the whole church deal was like until what? You actually came, right? You actually got it. No matter what it is, a place, a person, a gathering, a, a, a skill, you can read about it, you can prepare for it, you can study it, but until you actually do it, until you actually go, until you actually, you know, tie up the shoelaces or maybe tie the knot, you don't really know. You just remain a spectator until you've dove in and gone for it. You know, following Jesus is just like that. Following Jesus is something that we only really get to know who he is as we are going, as we get in close, as we begin to follow. In Mark's story that we've been exploring, we explored a bit in the fall and now we're back into it, men and women don't follow Jesus because they believe in him. They follow Jesus because they're intrigued by him. Now, that may come as a shock to some of you, because, you know, people have been calling, you know, Jesus has been calling people to follow him, and, and we've seen people following him, and we've seen people learning about who he is, and learning what matters to him, and, and, and learning what it means to be a part. But when we get really get into it, they didn't really know who he was at first. And some of you are sitting there thinking, but I thought only believers followed Jesus. Well, not at the start. Most of them weren't believers at the start. I mean, they may have thought they believed something, or they may have understood a little glimmer, but most of them who got up and followed Jesus didn't really know who he was. They didn't really understand what he was about. They didn't know his identity. Why did they follow him? Because something about him intrigued them. Or perhaps they had come to him with a need, and he had touched their lives. Maybe he had healed them. Some of them, maybe they started following him because they were bored. Can you imagine that? But it could be true. Maybe others started following Jesus because they were lonely. Others were in total despair, but others might have been really hopeful. 
People came to follow Jesus because they began to watch who he was and they maybe realized that if I want to get to know him more, I've got to do what? I've got to get up. And I've got to follow him. And it's only as they did that that they came to know more of who he was and some of them who followed him came to believe in him. If you want to really know who Jesus is, you've got to get up and follow. Well, today, in the story we're looking at today, Jesus takes his closest followers on a journey across the sea. They've been following him for a while, and they've been slowly coming to understand who this Jesus is, right? They've been watching him. They've been seeing him as he heals people. They've been hearing him as he, as he, as he debates or pushes back against the religious leadership. They've been, they've been now listening to him do quite a bit of teaching, some that we've even been able to hear with the parables. And, and slowly they're coming to this understanding of, of, of who he might be or who he is. And today Jesus takes them on a journey because he wants to bring their level of understanding up a bit. <laughs> the journey doesn't go as smoothly as planned. As we saw in the little claymation video, a furious storm comes up and threatens to swamp them. And it's in the middle of this storm that Jesus helps his followers understand even more of who he is. To come to an even greater understanding of this Jesus. And through this story, we are challenged. We're challenged to follow Jesus where he's leading us. We're we're challenged that as we follow him, there will be storms. But somehow through the storms, we'll not only grow in our understanding of who Jesus is, but I believe we'll grow in our ability and our readiness to take part in what Jesus is doing in changing people's lives. So let's walk through this story a little bit together. So Jesus had taught all day in the boat. Remember, actually back at the start of, of, of chapter 4, it kind of can slip by you, but the crowds were so big that Jesus actually got into a boat. And he was teaching those seed parables we talked about. He was actually teaching them from a boat. People lined up on the shoreline. And he'd been teaching all day. What we get with the couple of parables we're given is just kind of a representation of what he had been teaching, right? He'd been teaching all day. And he's exhausted. He's so tired, he doesn't want to get out of the boat. So when evening comes, he says to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they do that. They take Jesus in the boat. They start out and they leave the crowds behind, although some people pile in local boats, right, and just start following him. They're so eager to hear more of what Jesus has to say. But soon a fierce storm came up. We don't hear about those other boats anymore. They didn't have Jesus in the boat, you understand? Just kidding. Uh, But there's a fierce storm that comes up. We don't hear about the other boats anymore. There's high waves breaking into their boat. And it begins to fill with water. I mean, we all got that image. Maybe we watched the perfect storm. We watched the sailing movie. And we got the image of the, the sailors fighting with the lines and, and bailing water out. And they're desperate and they're, they're concerned. And then, and then the, the camera pans to Jesus, right? Who's doing what? It's a lovely image. It's kind of a Jonah image. Jesus is asleep. He's sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. I love it. Beautiful image. Here's Jesus, exhausted from a long day of teaching. It's a powerful image because in this story, we actually receive an incredible revelation about Jesus as the Lord of creation, linking him to all those passages and more that Val and I read. This is God in the boat. This is the Lord of creation. This is the creator himself. It's a powerful revelation of who Jesus is. But we don't get that revelation before we witness this very human Jesus, absolutely exhausted, sleeping through a jostling storm. It's hard enough to stand up in a boat, let alone sleep when it's in the middle of a storm, right? Here's Jesus, having spent himself teaching people about the kingdom of God, having given everything of himself 
to show people that God is good and that he's come to make a difference in their lives. He spent himself and he's sleeping peacefully in the back of the boat. And here's his followers freaking out. (laughs) And remember, a number of his followers are professional seamen. We can understand if Matthew, the tax collector, is freaking out. Right? But these are seasoned mariners and they're like really concerned that their boat's in trouble, that they're in trouble, that the storm is too much for them. And at the moment where they realize they can't do it, they go to Jesus and they wake him up and they shout, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? You hear what's in that question? Don't you care that we're going to drown? Teacher, we're going to die here. We're in trouble here. The storm has overwhelmed us and the way you're acting makes us think like you don't even care for us. You know? You don't even love us. You don't even notice. And we might be a little surprised at this response because haven't Jesus been with the disciples long enough to know better? I mean, haven't they been with Jesus long enough to know that he's good? To know that he's powerful? To know that somehow he's leading us and we can trust him? Shouldn't they know better? Come on. Shouldn't they know better? Yes. (laughs) But we all know that that's what we do, right? That in those times when we experience difficulty, especially if that difficulty comes from obeying Jesus, he's the one that told us to get in the boat and go here in the first place, right? He's the one that told me to do this. I'm just doing what he said to do. I'm just putting the words of Jesus into action in my life. And now I'm experiencing difficulty, storms, trouble. Jesus, don't you notice? Don't you care? We question the goodness of Jesus time after time. In the story of Mark, in our own lives, we see the goodness of Jesus shine through. The way that he heals, the way that he defends, the way that he challenges, the way that he restores people and drives out demons and brings freedom, the way he teaches and invites people into this kingdom understanding of what God is doing and where the world is going. We see his goodness shine through, and yet, when trouble comes, we question. But Jesus is always good. He's always using his good power for people, right? That's what we've seen over and over again because he's the good king. And in this question, don't you care? Don't you notice? Don't you love us? Don't you see us? We see how much further the disciples need to go in their understanding of the true goodness and the true power of Jesus. But we also see how much further we need to go, right? How much further you and I need to go in trusting this Jesus when troubles come. Because when troubles come, it's not because Jesus doesn't care for us. It's because he's actually taking us somewhere. Have you ever thought of that? When troubles arise, the storms come and the waves are crashing in, it's not because Jesus doesn't care. It's because he cares immensely and he's taking us somewhere and the place he's taking us to is so amazing and it's going to result in such powerful transformation in people's lives, in the lives of broken, lost, precious people that all the powers of earth and hell will rise up to oppose us because Jesus is taking us to a place where new creation will be born in someone's life, in our own lives. In the ancient mind, the seas, the water, the deep, wasn't just water, you know, little fishies down there, but it seemed to represent also the powers of evil and the powers of chaos. And so we see Jesus leading his disciples and and we see them where they're going in, in part two next week, where they're going next week is to find A man who's horribly broken, lost, waiting on the shore ahead of them. A man who's in the grip of evil, who's out of his mind and he's desperate for salvation. And Jesus knows this and that's where he's leading his disciples. 
But the evil and the chaos and the deep rises up to stop them because the devil does not want this man to be free. Evil does not want to relinquish its control. And the disciples, I'm not saying they know any of that, but they do know that this storm is beyond what they can handle and they're scared. They're afraid. And so they turn to Jesus in this panic and say, don't you care that we're going to drown? The real answer is Jesus cares immensely. And his care is bigger than what we can imagine, what we can see. You know, before the storm hit, just before they got into the boat, if you had lined up those disciples and you said, do you believe Jesus cares for you? Do you believe that Jesus is good? You know, what would all of them have said? Absolutely. Like 100%, man. He is so good. He will see us through. He is with us. No problem. But in the middle of that storm, it felt different. In the middle of that storm, they realized, oh, we don't trust this guy. It actually took the storm to reveal to themselves, perhaps, their own lack of faith in Jesus. Their own lack of trust in his goodness. And I think it's only through those storms that we have to go through as we follow Jesus, as he's leading us, that we will come to understand that we don't yet believe that Jesus is really that good. That he's really going to use his power for good in people's lives. Well, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind. He said to the waves, silence, be still. It's the same language we've already seen in the Gospel of Mark that he uses when he stills and silences demonic forces, unclean spirits. He uses the same language and he silences the waves. This is the man with authority. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Jesus gets right up from sleeping and he silences the storm with a command. And all those passages that the disciples would have known by heart, that it's only God who stills the storm to a whisper, that it's only God, the creator of heaven and earth, that has the power over the deep. And they're looking at Jesus, who has just done this. It's no wonder that they're afraid. And Jesus says, why are you afraid, though? You know, do you still have no faith? And I know that challenges us. We think, well, of course they're afraid. They're freaking out. But what Jesus is saying to them is, why did you choose fear of the waves over faith in me? Why did you forget my good leadership and see only the evil that opposed us? Have you forgotten who I am? Have you forgotten how good I am? The disciples are absolutely terrified by this demonstration of power. And they ask, who is this man? Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? And that's where this whole story really is leading us towards that question. Who is this man? So it would be good for us to just stop for a moment and ask the question, who is this guy in the boat? You know, who is he? Mark's been filling out this answer right from his first sentence in the story of Mark. We're only into chapter 4, right toward the end of chapter 4. So let's do a quick review of what we've learned about Mark so far, just in four chapters. Just in four chapters. In our journey through Mark, I'm going to go kind of quick, and there's a few things we might have, I might have skipped over, but, but I think we'll get the picture here. This is some of what we've learned as we've journeyed through just four chapters in Mark. We've learned right off the bat that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God. We've learned that He's the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who will send God's Spirit to be on and in people. We learned at His baptism as we saw Him baptize and the Father speak from heaven over the Son and the Spirit descend in the form of a dove that here we're dealing with not just a man but the member of the Trinity itself, the Trinity in full color. 
And we remember with the quotation from Psalm 2, the coronation psalm, that this baptism is like an anointing of the new king. The king who has come. And so Jesus is the anointed king who then begins to announce that the kingdom of God has come, that the time is near, that they can repent, they can turn around, and they can believe the good news because God is on the scene. And he's making a difference in people's lives. And so he announces this everywhere he goes. And he begins to call people. People to come, to leave their vocations. He has the authority to say to someone, stop fishing and come follow me. To interrupt their life and call them to follow him. And then as they follow him, they begin to see that this is a powerful teacher and the people around him hear him teach. And they're amazed at his authority. Why? Because he doesn't teach like the people that they've heard, the other leaders and teachers, but he preaches as though he wrote the book. Right? Authority. And then, when an evil spirit stands up to oppose him, he silences it. He casts it out. This is the one who has authority over evil spirits. And he heals the body. He's the great healer. So that people begin to swamp the houses he goes to. And and all all over when he goes, people come to him to be healed of their sickness, to be released of their affliction, to have demons drove out. This is a powerful traveling preacher and teacher who's announcing that the kingdom of God has come and he's demonstrating that in what he does. In what he says. In one particular instance, when everyone has kind of got to the point where they go, oh, we know who he is. He's a great healer. Powerful teacher, great healer, drives out demons. We kind of, the bar has been set here. We all know that's Jesus, right? Then Jesus ups the ante and a guy comes in who's paralyzed. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't just heal him right off the bat. He says, your sins are forgiven. And there's this big opposition because to, to, to forgive someone's sins is to claim to be equal with God. And that's exactly what's going on. Jesus, the forgiver of sins, equal with God. Replacement for the temple. Replacement for the temple sacrifice. Jesus is God in the flesh here among us. And then as he continues to go on, we see him breaking religious rules in order to love people because he loves people more than rules. We see him with authority over the law, with the power to reinterpret, the power to say what it says, the law of Moses in general, but specifically the Sabbath law to say that God has come for people and that the goodness of Jesus applies to people's lives to bring freedom and salvation to them. This is all just what we've been learning as we've been going through Mark. He goes on from there to begin to create around himself a new community. And the image that Mark pretty much intends us to see is like like Jesus is a new Moses who goes up on a mountain and draws to himself not seven, not 13, not 21, but 12 guys. It's like he's forming around himself a new Israel, a new community, appointing them as apostles. And then in his conflict, his continued conflict with the Pharisees who then accuse him of blasphemy or accuse him of being powered by Uh, Satan himself, we see Jesus as the stronger man, that he's come to overcome the strong man, Satan, who's been binding people and oppressing people, but now the stronger man is present, and he is ripping the heart out of Satan's house, and he's releasing the people that have been locked up, who've been chained, who've been oppressed and held down their whole lives, bringing freedom because he's the strong man. And then, as he faces opposition from his own family, we see Jesus redefine what the family is. That the family isn't defined by a bloodline or a pedigree, but by those who hear the will of God and do it. Those who hear the teaching of Jesus and follow him into it. That's the new family that's being defined around him. And then just in the last few weeks, we've seen Jesus finally, as he sits down, begin to teach as the master storyteller. Casting a picture for us of what this kingdom of God is like. 
in our lives and in the world. And then today, seeing Jesus now as not just all of these things, but the Lord of creation itself. With the power that at his word, waves would be stilled and winds would be stopped. That's just a few chapters in Mark. And we begin to get this composite picture of who is this man. So that's a lot of stuff. We could have filled in more. I realize that, but that's enough. Um, How would you summarize that? This is me asking you to do some of the work I probably should have done around Thursday afternoon. Just kidding. But how would you summarize that? Take all those things and how would you begin to capture who is this man? Any ideas? Response? Thoughts? I'll repeat back what you say because then people can hear you. How would you summarize this? Any ideas? Tolerant. Say that again. Tolerant. Tolerant. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Ray. How would you summarize it? Getting change. Getting ready for change. Good. Who is this man? Redeemer. Redeemer. Everything good. Yeah. Reflecting the Heavenly Father. Absolutely. Lord of all. Yep. It's all of that. I think when we look at a list like this and we read the stories of Jesus, we we come to see that, I mean, we're kind of getting back to what the drum we've been beating for a while now, right? But we look at that and we go, this guy's really good. He's really good. And that good that we're seeing in this Jesus is, is God. Jesus is good. Jesus is God. And Jesus is passionately committed to bringing life and salvation and freedom to broken, lost people. Radically committed to that. It's why he came. It's why he formed this community around him. It's why he's teaching people. It's why he's healing people. It's why he's going to go to the cross. He is passionately committed to seeing broken, precious, lost people restored healed, found. That's who this guy is. That's who this man is who stilled the storm. 